0: Chapters sixteen through eighteen of a woman's experiences in the Great War by Louise Mac. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter sixteen: A Prayer for His Soul. On we drove, on and on. All the road to Brussels was patrolled now. At the gates of Villa Gardens, on the side paths grey german gentries were posted bayonets fixed we drove through germans all the way they looked at us quietly once only were we stopped again and this time it was only the driver's passport that was looked at at last we arrived at hall an old-world brabant town containing a miracle as far as i can remember it was a bomb from some bygone war that came through the church wall and was caught in the skirts of the madonna paul said jean is now the headquarters of the german army in belgium the etat major has been moved here from brussels he is in residence at the Hotel de ville Voilà! see the germans they always pose themselves like that on the steps where there are any steps to pose on ah mais c'est triste n'est-ce pas mon pauvre belgique we clattered up the main street and stopped at a little cafe facing the Hotel de ville stiffly we alighted from our wagonette and entering the cafe quenched our thirst in lemonade watching the germans through the window as we rested nervous as i was myself i admired the Belgians sans-froid they manifested not the slightest signs of nervousness scorn was their leading characteristic then a sad little story reached my ears an old peasant was telling Jean that an english aviator had been shot down at hull the day before and was buried somewhere near how i longed to look for my brave countryman's grave but that was impossible instead i breathed a prayer for his soul and thought of him and his great courage with tenderness and respect it was all i could do chapter seventeen brussels finally after a wild and breathless drive of thirty-five miles through rich orchard country all the way and always between german patrols we entered brussels crowds of german officers and men were dashing about in motor-cars in all directions while the populace moved by them as though they were ghosts taking not the slightest notice of their presence the sunlight had faded now and the lights were being lit in brussels and i gazed about me filled with an inordinate curiosity at first i thought the people seemed to be moving about just as usual but soon i discovered an immense difference between these brussels crowds and those of normal times and conditions it was as though all the red roses and carnations had been picked out of the garden the smart world had completely disappeared those daintily dressed exquisite women and elegant young and old men that made such persuasive notes among the streets and shops of brussels in ordinary times had vanished completely under the german occupation in their place was now a rambling roaming crowd of the lower middle classes dashed with a big sprinkling of wide-eyed wrinkled peasants from the brabant country outside who had come into the big city for the protection of the lights and the houses and the companionship even though the dreaded allemands were there listlessly people strolled about they looked in the shop windows but nobody bought no business seemed to be done at all except in the provision shops where i saw groups of german officers and soldiers buying sausages cheese and eggs crowds gathered before the german notices pasted on the walls so continuously that brussels was half covered beneath these great black and white printed declarations which as they were always printed in three languages german french and flemish took up an enormous amount of wall space here and there dutch journalists stood hastily copying these affiches into their notebooks now and then from the crowd reading a low voice would mutter languidly there les but more often the brussels sense of humour would see something funny in those absurd proclamations and people were often to be seen grinning ironically at the german official war news specially concocted for the people of brussels it was all the direct opposite of the news in belgian and english papers we the allies had just announced that austria had broken down and was on the verge of a revolution the germans announced precisely the same thing only of servia and the brussels people coolly read the news and passed on believing none of it and all the time while the belgians moved dawdlingly up and down and round about their favourite streets and arcades the germans kept up one swift everlasting rush flying past in motors or striding quickly by with their firm long tread they always seemed to be going somewhere in a hurry or doing something extraordinarily definite after i had been five minutes in brussels i became aware of this curious sense of immense and unceasing german activity flowing like some loud swift resistless current through the dull depleted stream of brussels life all day long it went without ceasing and all night too in and out of the city in and out of the city in and out of the city past the deserted lace shops with their exquisite delicate contents past the many closed hotels past the great white beauties of brussels architecture past the proud but yellowing avenues of trees along the heights past those sculptured monuments of belgians who fell in bygone battles and now in the light of nineteen fourteen leapt afresh into life again galvanized back into reality by the shriek of a thousand oboes and the blood poured warm on the blackened fields of belgium we drove to an old hotel in a quiet street and our driver jumped down and rang the courtyard bell then the door opened and an old belgian porter stood and looked at us with sad eyes saying in a low voice come in quickly we all got down and went through the gateway we found ourselves in a big old yellow stone courtyard chilly and deserted the driver ran out and returned carrying in his arms the long flat seat cushion from the carriage then the old porter locked the gate and we all gathered round the brave little flemish driver who was down on his knees now over the cushion doing something with a knife next minute he held up a bundle of letters and then another and then another and here is your english passport madame Jean said to me unknown to most of us the driver and Jean, while we waited at angiot had made a slit in the cushion had taken out some stuffing and put in instead a great mass of letters and papers for brussels then they had wired up the slit turned the cushion upside down and let us sit on it it was rather like sitting on a mine only like the heroine of the song we didn't care we didn't know chapter eighteen burgomaster max the hotel is closed to the public we shut it up so that we should not have germans coming in says the little bruxellois widow who owns it but if madame likes to stay here for the night we can arrange only there is no cooking the old professor from liege asks in his pitiful childlike way if he can get a room there too he would be glad so glad to be in a hotel that was not open to the public or the germans leaving my companions with many expressions of friendliness i now rush off to the Hotel de ville accompanied by the faithful Jean. just as we reach our destination we run into the man i have come all this way to see i see a short dark man with an alert military bearing it seems to me that this idol of brussels is by no means good-looking certainly there is nothing of the hero in his piquant even somewhat droll appearance but his eyes they are truly extraordinary they bulge right out of their sockets they have the sharpness and alertness of a terrier's they are brilliant humorous stern merry tender audacious glistening bright all at once his beard is clipped his moustaches are large and upstanding his immaculate dress and careful grooming give him a dandified air as befitting the most popular bachelor in europe who is also an orphan to boot his forehead is high and broad his general appearance is immediately arresting one scarcely knows why quite unlike the conventional burgomaster type is he monsieur max briefly explains that he is on his way to an important meeting but he will see me at eleven o'clock next morning if i will come to the Hotel de Ville then he hurries off his queer dark face lighting up with a singularly brilliant smile as he bids us au revoir an historic moment that for Monsieur max has never been seen in brussels since of itself m max's face is neither particularly lovable nor particularly attractive therefore this man's great hold over hearts is all the more remarkable it must of course be attributed in part to the deep warm audacious personality that dwells behind his looks but in truth m max's enormous popularity owes itself not only to his electric personality his daring and sang-froid but also to his common sense which steered poor bewildered brussels through those terribly difficult first weeks of the german occupation nothing in history is more touching more glorious then the sudden starting up in time of danger of some quiet unknown man who stamps his personality on the world becomes the prop and comfort of his nation is believed in as christians believe in god and makes manifest again the truth that war so furiously and jealously attempts to crush and darken the power of mind over matter the mastery of good over evil from this war three such men stand out immortally king albert max of brussels mercier of malines and belgium has produced all three thrice fortunate belgium each stone that crumbles from her ruined homes seems to the watching world to fly into the heavens and glow there like a star on foot swinging my big yellow furs closer round me in the true belgian manner i walked along at Jean's side trying to convince myself that this was all real this brussels full of grey-clad and blue-clad prussians saxons and bofferois with here and there the white uniform of the imperial guard suddenly i started horribly conscious as i was that i was an english authoress and with no excuse to offer for my presence there i felt distinctly nervous when i saw a queer young man in a bulky brown coat move slowly along at my side with a curious sidling movement whispering something under his breath i was not sure whether to hurry on or to stand still Jean chose the latter course whereupon the stranger flicked a look up and down the street then put his hand in his inner breast pocket he whispered hoarsely flashing looks up and down the street how much asked jean five francs he answered put it away tout suite vous savez c'est dangereux. then quickly he added walking along beside us still and speaking still in that hoarse melodramatic voice which pleased him a little i couldn't help think les allemands will give me a year in prison if they catch me so i have to make it pay n'est-ce pas but the brussels people must have their newspapers They've got to know the truth about the war, n'est-ce pas? And the English papers tell the truth. How do you get the newspapers, I whispered, like a conspirator myself. I sneak in and out of Brussels in a peasant's cart, all the way to Sautéjons, he whispered back. Every week they catch one of us, but still we go on, n'est-ce pas? We don't know what fear is in Brussels. That's because we've got Monsieur Max at the head of us. Ah, there's a man for you, Monsieur Max a look of pride and tenderness flashed across his dark crafty face then he was gone and i found myself longing for the morning when i should talk with m max myself but sunday i was awakened by the loud booming of cannon proceeding from the direction of Malines. what is happening i asked the maid who brought my coffee isn't that firing very near oui madame on dit that in a few days now the belgian army will re-enter brussels and the germans will be driven out that will be splendid madam will it not splendid i answered mechanically this optimism was now becoming a familiar phrase to me i found it everywhere but alas i found it alongside what was continually being revealed as pathetic ignorance of the true state of affairs and the nearer one was to actual events the greater appeared one's ignorance this very day when we were saying in a few days now the germans will be driven out of brussels they were commencing their colossal attack upon antwerp and we knew nothing about it the faithful jean called for me at half-past ten and hurrying through the rain-wet streets to meet monsieur max at the hôtel de Ville, we became suddenly aware that something extraordinary was happening a sense of agitation was in the air people were hurrying about talking quickly and angrily and then our eyes were confronted by the following startling notice pasted on the walls printed in german french and flemish and flaming over brussels in all directions Notice: mayor max having committed offences against the german government i have been forced to suspend his functions mr max is in honourable detention in the fortress the german governor von der Goltz, brussels twenty sixth september nineteen fourteen cries of grief and rage kept bursting from those broken-hearted belgians not a man or woman in the city was there who did not worship the very ground max walked on the blow was sharp and terrible it was utterly unexpected too crowds kept on gathering presently with that never-ceasing accompaniment of distant cannon the anger of the populace found vent in groans and hisses as a body of uhlans made its appearance conducting two belgian prisoners towards the town hall and then all in a moment brussels was in an uproar prudence and fear were flung to the wind like mad creatures the seething crowds of men women and children went tearing along towards the hotel de Ville, groaning and hooting at every german they saw and shouting aloud the name of max while to add to the indescribable tumult hundreds of little boys ran shrieking at the tops of their voices here's a photograph of mr max ten cents the civic guard composed now mostly of elderly enrolled brussels civilians dashed in and out among the infuriated mob waving their sticks and imploring the population to restrain itself or the consequences might be fatal for one and all meanwhile the aldermen were busy preparing a new affiche which was soon being posted up in all directions important notice in the absence of mr max running the communal affairs and maintenance order will be provided by the college of aldermen in the interest of the city we are issuing a supreme call for calm and coolness of our citizens we rely on the support of all to maintain public tranquillity brussels the college of aldermen accompanied by jean i hurried on to the hotel de Ville. voyez-vous says jean under his breath voici les allemands dans l'hotel de Ville. quelle chose n'est-ce pas and i hear a sharp note in the poor fellow's voice that told of bitter emotion it was an ordeal to walk through that beautiful classic courtyard patrolled by grey-clad german sentinels armed to the teeth the only thing to do was to pass them without either looking or not looking but once inside i felt safer the germans kept to their side of the town hall leaving the belgian municipality alone we went up the wide stairs hung with magnificent pictures and found a sad group of belgians gathered in a long corridor the windows of which looked down into the courtyard below where the germans were unloading wagons or striding up and down with bayonets fixed looking down from that window while we waited to be received by m le mounier the acting burgomaster who had promptly taken m max's place i interested myself in studying the famous german leg a greater part of it was boot these boots looked as though immense attention had been given to them in fact there was nothing they didn't have iron heels waterproof uppers patent soles in immense thickness with metal intermingled an infinite capacity for not wearing out i watched these giant boots standing in the gateway of the exquisite Hotel de Ville, fair monument of belgium's genius for the gothic i could see nothing of the upper part of the germans only their legs and it was forced upon my observation that those legs were of great strength and massive yet with a curious flinging freedom of gait that was the direct result of goose-stepping then i saw two officers goose-stepping into the courtway i saw their feet first then their knees the effect was curious they appeared to kick out contemptuously at the world then pranced in after the kick the conceit of their performance defies all words then Jean's card was taken into the acting burgomaster and next moment a belgian echevant said to us entrez s'il vous plait and we passed into the room habitually occupied by m max we found ourselves in a palatial chamber the walls covered thickly with splendid tapestries and portraits from the high gilded ceiling hung enormous chandeliers glittering and pageantesque under one of these giant chandeliers stood an imposing desk covered with papers an elderly gentleman with a grey wide beard was seated there we advanced over the thick soft carpets monsieur le meunier received us with great courtesy nous avons perdu notre tête he murmured sadly without monsieur max we are lost the air was full of agitation here was a scene the like of which might well have been presented by the stage so spectacular was it so dramatic the lofty chamber with its superb appointments and hangings and these elderly grey-bearded men of state who had just been dealt the bitterest blow that had yet fallen on their poor tortured shoulders but this was no stage scene this was real if ever anything on earth was alive and real it was this scene in the burgomaster's room in brussels on the first day of max's imprisonment throbbing and palpitating through it was human agony human grief human despair as these grey-bearded belgians stared with dull heavy eyes at the empty space where their heroic chief no longer was tragic beyond the words of any historian was that scene which at last however by sheer intensity of concentrated and concealed emotion seemed to summon again into that chamber the imprisoned body the blazing dauntless personality of the absent one until his prison bonds were broken and he was here seated at this desk cool fearless imperturbable directing the helm of his storm-tossed bark with his splendid sanity and saying to all fear nothing mes enfants." There is no such thing as fear. End of chapter eighteen recording by expatriate in Bangor, Maine.